0: Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Amen. does anybody come to call on the name of Jesus? Can we just do it in the room? Can we call on the name that is above every other name? Hallelujah. Man, you may be seated. Love that name, Jesus. That name, Jesus, we try to proclaim through the singing. We try to proclaim through the preaching. We try to proclaim through remembering what he did on the cross through communion. It is something about the name of Jesus. Well, good morning. It is good to be here gathered with the body of Christ uh, always an encouraging time when I get to get around my brothers and sisters. Uh, it's I don't know, it's something edifying and fruitful about being with you. In fact, Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty-five will say it this way: Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another as you go on and see the day drawing near. It's something encouraging about being with the body, and you don't know who is discouraged right now. So why don't you just look at somebody and say, "I'm encouraged to see you today." Look at somebody else and say, cheer up. I'm here. I'm next to you. Speaking of encouraging, we had such a great time last week at our Pifree Wine service. And if you missed it, you're you, you missing the wrong stuff. This, this, it, was a, it, was a, it was one of those services that you cancel everything else to make sure that you are at because the worship was thick in the room. We felt God's presence in the room. And I preached at the top of the service for 20, 25 minutes. And I got out the way and we just worshiped the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you missed it, uh, fret not, we actually got another one coming. Amen. January 19th. Somebody say January 19th. 19th. We are doing another Epiphany Wine while I'll preach at the top of the service and then we will flow uh, the vibe. The phone way up in here was crazy. We're going to put that stage back in the middle. That's not a word, but I just made that one up. Uh, but we, we're going to try to set it up the same way and, and try to vibe out in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Uh, let's let's get to the word of God. I'm encouraged and excited to preach. Won't you get your Bibles and meet me in the New Testament and get to the letter to Corinth. First Corinthians is where we are. Once you get to First Corinthians, go to the last chapter, chapter 16. Uh, speaking of services you don't want to miss, hey, next week, my pastor and spiritual father, Dr. Eric Mason, will be with us preaching all three services. All three services, he'll be here. Uh, God has used him in a profound way to, uh, to shape ministry in me and to mentor me. He is the one that uh, strongly rebukes me uh, when I'm wrong. Um, and he's the one that also encourages me uh, to keep pressing forward. So please be here, uh, but get here early. Because once we put out on social media that uh, he'll be here, other people will come. So make sure, I want y'all to have a seat. So make sure y'all get here early, uh, whatever service you come to. All right, if you're there, 1 Corinthians 16, say amen. Amen. If you are not there, say back that thing up. (laughs) All right, let me jump in before I get in trouble. Verse 13, (laughs) be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Underline this. Act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. In these verse, two verses, I, I want to preach from the topic entitled Change the Narrative King. Change the Narrative King. All right, let's uh, let's pray before we dig in. Father, we're back at it once again, uh, humbly coming to your scriptures, realizing that we can't understand your word without you uh, motivating our hearts to hear it. And so, Father, I pray that nothing, nothing new would be preached. Nothing. I'm not trying to tickle ears today, Lord. I'm trying to engage hearts. So, Father, would you do that today through Your Word? Pray for the men in this room. I thank You for every man that's in this room. Pray that You would encourage us today through Your Word. Thank You for the ladies. They're just as important, Lord. We need them today, and I pray that this Word would be encouraging and heart pricking for them as well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let everybody say Amen. Change the narrative, King. Uh, I have to confess at the top of this sermon that the, the sermon was birthed out of uh, a deep concern that I've sensed over some time in the church. And when I say the church, I'm not just talking this local body. Uh, I'm talking the, the church overall. Uh, I, I have a deep concern, particularly in, in, in the Western uh, part of the world, this part, the, the U.S., the in America. It, it seems as though... Um, There is an absence of male presence and definitely an absence of biblical manhood within the church. And that 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 concern has drove me to the text this week to really try to see what the scriptures say about biblical manhood. You got to understand something about manhood that when I read when I read the scriptures, it's very clear. It gives us what manhood looks like from biblical manhood looks like from singles, from those of you who are dating to those of you who are married. Now, let me just be honest that this is not the sermon that I'm beating up the men. And, and, and I'm, just saying, I'm saying that because we have some really good men around us. We have some really good men in the church. You are around some really good men. There are some husbands here that have been married less time than me, but I aspire to be a husband like they are. There are some fathers around here. Their children are smaller than my children, but I aspire to be a father as they are in And so I'm not beating up the men today. And ladies, please do me a favor. Don't check out on the sermon because uh, this sermon is just as much for you as it is for the men, because you need to understand what biblical manhood is as well. You need to understand because many of you are operating in life with men all around you, whether it is an uncle or a father or a husband or a son or doesn't matter what you are operating in life. And you need to understand what God expects from biblical men. And and to be honest with you, most of you come to me and are asking me to hook you up with with guys. And and, and so here's some parameters of what the scriptures say. About what it looks like to look for a biblical man. And I ain't mad. Listen, y'all can come to me all y'all want. (laughs) Because what's happening is, unfortunately, women want men, but culture is producing oversized infants. Culture is producing boys that can shave. Culture is producing immature men. And so what does it look like? To be a mature man, well, the scripture is going to help us today. Now, there's a couple of things before we dig in the scriptures. A couple of uh, cultural contribution to the lack of biblical manhood. There's a couple of things that are, there are a couple of factors that are shaping our men. Number one, write these down. This is a good place to take notes if you're taking them. Uh, The the points will be on the screen as well. Uh, Point one of what's a cultural contribution that leads to the lack of biblical manhood. Here it is. The rise of equal rights for women. Now, listen, women, don't get at me. I'm with you. I'm not I'm not I'm not angry. In fact, I would say women should have been had equal rights to men. It's it's no reason. It's ridiculous that a woman does the same job as a man and a man gets paid more. The devil is a liar. Not to mention many of our women are more gifted uh, than us anyway. And so this is not a push towards pulling equal rights away from women. But what happened is. In the conversation of equal rights for women, what we've done is we've said anything that's a distinction between what a man is and what a woman is, is inequality. And it, okay, let, let, me try to make that, let me try to make that a little bit more plain. God has made men and women very differently. Can we agree? I mean, look at Adam and Eve. I mean, from, from, a, from, from an anatomy standpoint, they look, they look different. Our bodies are shaped different. We go to the bathroom differently. And so men and women are very, very different. <laughs> we are very different. But not only that, I mean, if you look in the scriptures and look at what what God put as, as leadership in the household, it is very clear that Adam is the leader in the household. And so what we've done is in the name of, of, of equality, what we've done is we've looked at God's creative genius and making us different and said, God messed up. He should have made us the same. And so we live in an egalitarian culture that says a man and a woman can do the exact same things, and I'm I'm with it, I'm I'm with you, but don't get lost. Don't don't pull back and push back on what God has done in his creative order, he made us different. In other words, we should complement each other, not compete with each other. And so in, in this in this call for equal rights, I think something's getting lost in there. I think the second cultural contribution is toxic masculinity. We 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 especially if you're 35 and up, we we typically have grown up in a generation where fathers were beating their chests and were like, "What you crying for? Stop acting like a girl. Man up." We, I mean, that's the stuff. At least in my household, those are the things I heard, and that's because that was passed down from his father. This is what manhood looks like: is that we're overly ogre and we're overly masculine. But if you tell a man not to cry, what you're telling him is not to be in touch with his emotion. Ralph Trezvan said you need a man with sensitivity. And if you tell men not to cry because you say men don't cry. Can we agree that Jesus is not a man? Did you hear? I love the way what Chris said it in John chapter 11. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but still entered into an emotional state to cry. OK, if men don't cry, can we cut David out from being a man? And listen, brothers, I know you got hands. I know you in the gym, but you can't go toe to toe with King David. Right. A- unless you can do things like David, which is kill a lion with your bare hands. Right. A- unless you can kill a bear with your bare hands. And The Bible says that that uh, Saul slains thousands, but it is David that slains ten thousands. And as masculine of a man and a warrior that David was, he wrote poetry. Right. Read Psalms three. Read Psalm 23, six verses of Poet. He was in touch with his sensitive side. So we, we are growing up in households that are saying, stop crying, be a man. But a man does cry because the man, the manliest man, Jesus Christ, cried. And so toxic masculinity, saying suck it up, beat your chest. What you're doing is you're telling that man not to be what the Bible says a man actually is. The rise of equal rights for women has contributed. A false sense of masculinity or toxic masculinity has contributed to the lack of biblical manhood. Here's another one. Write this one down. Fatherlessness. Many men are not exposed. If I did a poll around this room, I bet you that more than half of the room grew up either without a father or you grew up with a father, but it was a dysfunctional relationship. And so what we've done is we're confused on what a man looks like. We're confused on how to be a husband because we never saw our father being faithful to our mother. But we're confused on what it looks like to be a father because you were always absent. You were never home. Papa was a rolling stone. And we're confused on what manhood looks like. Because men have to be exposed to faithful, godly men in order to understand and get a picture of what it looks like. We're pulling what manhood looks like from the culture because the church isn't producing biblical men. And it is is extremely dangerous. And this this fatherlessness, I would say, amongst the African-American culture runs deep. Did you know that in America, 62 percent of households, uh, African-American households are fatherlessness? If they're fatherless, did you know that 62% Of of people are growing up in a household with no father and that is producing weak men that don't understand their role in society and don't understand their role in the church and don't understand their role in the home and don't understand their role as a husband and their role as a father because we need our dads. We need fathers to be present. And there's a couple of things that have contributed to fatherlessness. Number one uh, is mass incarceration. Can we agree? We, you locking our husbands and our fathers up. Yeah. So that's contributed. But also stuff like the, the industrial revolution. when We started creating more jobs. What fathers did was they got out and got busy at work and we provided for the family, but we weren't present for the family. And so it contributes to weak men in another generation. Here's another one. Lack of commitment to discipleship. One of the things I know about men is men want to be engaged. We just don't want to commit to the process to being engaged. We're not committing to no long term discipleship. So what we do is we show up on Sundays and we say that's enough. But this is a this is a little picture of the church. Your time right now, 40 minutes of a sermon isn't enough to disciple you got to understand discipleship is getting into the life of somebody else. And, and so we have men that are not teachable. Wow. We, we have men that don't commit to places like Proverbs 15 with many advisors plan succeed. Well, we, we don't have advisors because we're not submitting to anybody. You want to be a leader, but you don't know what it means to be a servant. You don't know how to follow people. So therefore we have weak men that won't commit to discipleship. Do you know that Jesus only spent three years with 12 men? Twelve disciples. He spent three years and these disciples rocked the entire world. And don't miss this, but they were uneducated. They, They were not seminary trained. They didn't have a lot of resources. They didn't have a lot of structure on how to build the church. You know what they had? Three years of discipleship. And it rocked the world in such a way. If you read places like Acts chapter 14, they come in to Thessalonica, and the Bible says that the locals there saw the disciples and said, These are the men that turned the world upside down. No education, discipleship. Submitting to the process of being engaged and being shaped to look more like Jesus Christ. And so unfortunately, the lack of commitment to discipleship is contributing to weak men. Last one, and then I'll get into the text. The last contribution to the lack of biblical manhood is the disproportionate number of women to men in the church. Now, don't miss this. I ain't mad that our ladies are showing up to church. Praise God. I'm upset that our men aren't showing up to church. And, And it's crazy because the Christian church in America is the only church, is the only place where you'll see more women showing up than men. You go down to the mosque and there's a male presence. You go down to the sneaker store on a day that they drop new kicks and look at the line. There's a male presence. But when it comes to church, the men are staying home and sleeping and watching football and on their fantasy football league. While mom is taking the kids to church, the devil is a liar. Where are the men at? Why are we not showing up? Because the ministry of presence is important. Sometimes all you got to do is just show up. My son's basketball game, I just got to show up. The the birthday parties, I just got to show up. Church, I just got to show up. And so the ministry of presence is extremely important. And so we got to fix this. We need a stronger presence of of, of biblical manhood. And so Paul is going to pick up the pen. In his final instructions, please don't miss that. It's final instructions. In other words, if you knew that you only had a limited amount of time with somebody and your last words that you were going to say, you're probably going to make them the most important. He gets to the end of this chapter to a church that is extremely gifted. Read uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, extremely gifted tongues and prophecy. And he has to put things in order. They're singing hymns and they're, they're I mean, they are in a gifted church. But at the end of the letter, he says, now I got to talk to the men. I got to talk to the men about what it means to be a biblical man. Look at what he says in verse 13. I love this because it, this is a preacher's. Home run. You, I mean, what Paul did was set the ball up on the tee for you to hit a home run. Look, look at, he gives you bullet points. It ain't hard. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. I mean, it's no continuity to it. He's just giving you points. Let all that you do be done in love. First one, look what he says. Be watchful. In other words, biblical manhood is being alert to the enemy's presence. Biblical manhood is watching and waiting for the enemy and not being caught off guard. The only thing worse than spiritual attack is being under spiritual attack and not know you're under spiritual attack. So the Bible says, men, be alert, be watchful. And if you're a husband, you can't just be alert over your own soul. You have to be alert over the spiritual attack on your marriage. And one of the ways we fight the spiritual attack, don't think this is too deep. One of the ways you will fight a spiritual attack on your marriage is simply looking at the enemy coming and saying, baby, let's go to counseling. See, we've made this thing too spooky. You ain't got to sit in the room and and fast and pray all day and say, God, a a spiritual attack is coming. No, sometimes you just got to pick a therapist, go to therapy and work through some issues. We make therapy taboo. That is a simple way. That is a little strategic a structure you can put in a place to help your marriage. That's being watchful. Yeah. If You know, your kids are, are growing up and they're not walking with the Lord. There's no, no devotional life. You, you really don't see them being engaged in the word. you got to put some devotion in place for your children. Men do that with your families. There's not a morning that goes by, at least Monday through Friday, that my family at 715 on a dot, ain't getting around to get into the word of God. Ain't nothing deep. I ain't parsing Greek. We, we read a passage. We talk, talk about how it's apply, uh, impacting us. Put a little note in, in the little app and then go on about our business. Why? Because I want to engage them because I know when they get out into the world, spiritual attack will happen. Be watchful, men. Be watchful over your families. And so the first thing he says to them is, men, real biblical manhood is paying attention Paying attention to the attack that will come. Do you realize how the enemy does not fight fair? The Bible says that he, he comes to kill and steal and destroy. He doesn't want to mess with you. He wants to kill you. And The spiritual attack that is on our men. We are unaware that we are under that type of attack. Do You know, in first Peter, chapter five, he uh, uh, Peter says that the devil prowls around like a lion. Can you imagine if you walked out on the street of Fulton and you saw a lion coming? You would be very, very cautious. You would run somewhere. You would take cover. But unfortunately, we allow the devil to prowl around like a lion and we're not being watchful. So he says, look, look, biblical manhood is being alert. It's it's, it's being on your post. It's being on your guard and being ready to fight the enemy, not just for yourself, but for those that are around you. I'm always on guard. I'm always ready. And so the first thing he says, be watchful. Look at the second one. Y'all with me? Stand firm in the faith. Like, I love that because what he says is biblical manhood is standing firm on the truth of the gospel. On the truth that I am a sinner, that God is holy, that I needed somebody to put me in the presence of God and Jesus is my access. Standing on that message and that message alone. And you young ladies that are dating. When you're dating and he's talking science and philosophy. You need to get a little worried. On that date, you need to say, Boo where you stand on Jesus, though? You, you need to ask that question, because what we've done is we've looked at the church and said, the church ain't got no option. They ain't got no valuable men. So I'm going to go outside of the church. And you've lowered your standards. So you're not looking for a man that's standing firm on the faith. You're looking for a man that's tall enough, got credit, got nice teeth and nice skin. And that's going to be my boo. But you need to make the top priority. He got to stand firm on the faith. Because ladies, he'll put it down, but don't miss this. You'll be spiritually confused later. You'll be like, I I don't know what I believe anymore. That's because he talked to you about doctrine and philosophy and did not get you in the word. Do you know that Ephesians 5 says husbands bathe your wives in the word? That means, brothers, we got to know the word. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that you're not reading your Bible. I don't care what your busy schedule looks like. I don't care how Filled up your calendar Calendar is you need time with the Lord. And if your calendar is too busy for time in the word of God, knock some stuff off the calendar because it ain't nothing sexier than a man that's in his word. You going to the gym to be sexy. You better read through the rest of Romans before we get to it. So with men, men, we can't just read it. But hear me, read and obey the word. Obey the word. And so he says. Be watchful. But I don't only want you to be watchful. I want you to stand firm in the faith. In other words, a.k.a. stand firm in the gospel. If men are not standing firm in the gospel, we're standing somewhere. Men never just wander. We we don't just aimlessly wander, which is why we get attached to like football and sports, because we are just trying to find somewhere to stand. We're trying to find a position to, to, to plant our feet on, but there's no greater position to plant your feet on than the gospel of Christ. You should look for ways that you are going to apply the gospel. Hear me, not just recite it because there's a whole lot of men that can tell you the gospel that ain't living it. The brother that shared the gospel with me, I I kid you not. I I was inside the church. I didn't know the Lord. I thought I did, but I didn't know the Lord. I walked out of the church and he shared the gospel with me in the parking lot of the church. This same brother, I'm not even sure if he knows the Lord, but he told me the gospel clearly. Clearly. So I don't care that you can recite the gospel. My question is, are you submitting to Philippians 127? Only let your manner of life be counted worthy of the gospel. Live out the gospel, brothers. Show your wife what it looks like to live out the gospel. Show your girlfriend what it looks like to live out the gospel. Show your children what it looks like to stand firm on the faith. So he says, be watchful. But don't only be watchful, brothers. I, I need y'all to stand firm on the faith. And I guess he's like, you know what, let me just get explicit because I don't know if they hearing me. Act like men. What he's calling them to. And listen, not act like men of what culture says men, is, men are. He's saying act like men. In other words, be spiritually mature. Because acting like a man means not acting like a child. Acting like a man means not acting like a boy. Acting like a man means not acting like an infant. God never saved you with the intent that you would stay an infant, but you need to grow. Can you imagine if you had a baby that stayed a baby? You'd be like, something's wrong. They're not growing. But in our spiritual walk, we are the same way we were when we met Christ. That is not biblical manhood. He says, grow up. Act like men. Stop. And, you know, one of the concerns I had this week when I was thinking about this is overall, the spiritual maturity of our ladies. It supersedes the spiritual maturity of our men. I'm, I'm, Listen, I'm pastoring you right now. I promise you, our spiritual ladies are growing at a way that our men are not growing. And it's, it's, it's making me frustrated because our ladies are coming to me going, you ain't got nobody to hook me up with. And I'm looking around going, they all in pampers. They all on milk. Grow up, bro. Because he says, listen, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to act like men. Can I get real practical? The Bible's here. I'm here. <laughs> so I'm not quoting scripture here. Acting like men means not acting like a slob, brothers. See, our discipleship has been way too theological. Our discipleship has been, way, let, let's just get into scripture and let, let's, let's dig deep and let's go real deep. with each other. But, you know, some some when it comes when it comes to discipleship. Our discipleship also has to be practical. I need to be able to tell you Greek and Hebrew, but I also need to be able to tell you to clean your apartment. Because some of y'all apartment. The bathroom. See, that's the telltale right there. If that bathroom ain't right, I don't trust nothing. I don't trust your cooking. Clean your like like listen, listen. And and ladies, y'all need to say, man, I'm trying to get your mans right. That's all I'm doing. Brothers, acting like a man means cleaning under your fingernails. It means, see, poor hygiene. Listen to me, brothers. Poor hygiene is a discipleship issue. I'll never forget. I'll never forget when I was in Philadelphia. There was a, um, there was a pastor from Africa that flew in, and um, we had a young brother pick him up. And so he goes to the airport, picks him up, takes him to his hotel. Later on that night, that pastor comes to the church, and I'm talking with the pastor. He's like, Pastor, let me ask you a question. Um... Do you guys disciple in cleanliness and hygiene? So I'm going, my breast stink? Like, <laughs> what happened? And he said, Man, the young man that picked me up, his car was filthy. I was sitting on French fries. The pastor considered that a discipleship issue. And I'm trying to help you young men. Trust me, you can. And you know what happens? What happens is we get married and we've never corrected poor hygiene. No one ever told you that your breath stung and you get married and then you have issues in your marriage. Can we just be practical today? Yes. See, I sit across from a lot of marriages that have issues and, and oftentimes, yes. The lack of sexual intimacy in a marriage, yes, sometimes it points to trauma, sexual trauma in one of the spouses. I get that. Sometimes it points to something like that happened, that that person is working through. And so intimacy, they cringe when it comes to intimacy. They need counseling. They need therapy. I get that. But most of the time, it ain't that deep. Most of the time, it's just poor hygiene. Brothers coming home, yo, baby, I'm ready. Bro, you got to watch that day funk off. You get in the bed dirty? See, this too practical for y'all. Y'all want me to just get back into scripture. Acting like a man is not acting like a slob. Y'all want young ladies, but you ain't getting yourself together. You can't stink, bro. You can't stink, bro. Listen, bad breath kills community. Like, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta brush that tongue. You got a Listerine, and when I say Listerine, not that fresh burst or that or, or, or that or that other blue one. You got to do the original gold. That joint to take a layer of skin off your mouth. I'm serious. Poor hygiene is killing community. It is. And so he says here. He says, <laughs> "Come back, y'all. Come back." He says, "Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act." Like men, not children, not animals, but act like a man. OK, so what else does he say here? Then he moves on. and He says, and be strong. See, when I read this earlier this week on Monday, I, I, I was literally thinking strength like like strong. But that feeds the culture. Right. He's not saying. So if you go to the next letter that he writes to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it's verse six. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 says Paul boasted his weakness. He says, I boast in my weakness because when I am weak, then am I made strong. In other words, him saying be strong men really is him saying, understand your weakness. Understand that you're not strong in your own sense. You, you are only strong because God doesn't meet you in your strengths. Because if he meets you in your strength, you take credit. He meets you in the weakness. And so, in other words, brothers, he never saved you with the intent that you wouldn't fall. But here's what we do. We fall and we act like we didn't. No, real men confess sin. Real men repent. Real men say I'm wrong. In other words, real men understand their weakness because it is in our weakness that keeps us dependent on the Lord. Fully reliant on the Lord, because I understand without him, I am extremely weak. And you young ladies, when you first meet a man, trust me, you're getting a strong him. He ain't you think a man on the first day gonna be like, baby, here's why I'm weak at. That's not what they're doing. They're presenting you with the best version of who they are. Here's how you start to sift through that. Get him around other bro- godly brothers in the church. Because we know how five minutes we'd be like, Yeah, whatever. You what, what's your intentions? I see your weakness. Get them around a group of godly brothers again. Which is why it's important for us to be godly men. Because they're looking around going, I need some brothers to help me in this dating relationship that ain't trying to holler at me so they're not hating that I'm bringing another man around them. I need that same brother to come around and check this man out. But they're they looking around going, I don't see no men. You know our church is 72% women? Wow. 72%. Where the brothers at? Where is... Where, 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 where does... <laughs> Where's the spiritually mature men at? Where's the spiritual fathers at? Where the spiritual fathers at that see that young woman that is a single mother bringing her child to church? Where is that young brother that says, I'm going to help you up the steps? You need somebody to go play basketball with him? I got you. I'm going to take him. You don't go to the game. Just stay at work. I'm going to go to the game. And I'm doing all this not to get into your pants. I'm doing this because I genuinely want to be a spiritual father. He says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. In other words, understand weakness. And I want you to understand your weakness in such a way that I'm going to finish it off by saying this. That all that you do be done in love. We've we've made love. We've made manhood not synonymous with love. And and, and I'm guilty of it. When I first became a believer, it was hard for me to tell brothers these three words. I love you. Because what I would do is I'd just be like, love you, man. I couldn't do those other three. I'd be like, yo, much love. I, I could not say I love you. There was something weak about it. Something that, But when I read this, Paul is like, listen, no. You have to tell people you love them, but you got to show them you love them too. Those that are around you, they should not be guessing whether you love them or not. They should know you love them. Your spouse shouldn't guess if you love her or not. Your wife should know that she is the most loved woman in the room. Sometimes my wife be sitting in a group of ladies and y'all be talking. I walk by, I just pat her on the butt. I just want to let her know I love you. You're, you're the most loved in the room. And, and listen, brothers, we have to do, we, our wives can't be like, I don't know if you really love me like that. And you want to know the best way to show love, not just to your spouse, but to those around you the way Jesus did, sacrifice. Yeah. See, Jesus loved you. And men, this is our model. Jesus is our model of what it looks like to be a man and what it looks like to love. Because Jesus loved so much that he didn't just say it. He showed it. Showed it so much. Over 2000 years ago, he was willing to get on a cross to absorb your sin, your past sin, your present sin, the filthiest sin, the dirtiest sin, the wickedest sin. He went on the cross to absorb that sin, showing you I love you. I love you so much that I'm willing to go to a cross and die for you. The guilty walk free. But the innocent loved you so much that he was condemned on the cross. Men, we have to show those around us that we love them. How do we do it? Sacrifice. If you don't get nothing else from this sermon, you need to put on your notes. I need to be more sacrificial as a man because I need to show those around me that they love me, that I love them. This is not manhood. That's not. Say, I'm I'm overly ogre. Listen, that is not manhood. What we've done is the culture has produced that crap. It made us think that we can't be loving. You can't be in touch with your emotions. You can be in touch with your emotions and still love people, love people well. Here's what we need to do. I really spent time this week praying for you, you men. I've also spent time praying for you ladies. Because I realize it's frustrating when you look around and don't see maturity of men. It's frustrating. It's aggravating. And this sermon really is the first step in many of steps that we're going to take as a church to make sure we are building and investing into men. To make sure that there is not a man in this room that goes undiscipled. Don't just show up to church. That's nothing. You need to show up to church. See, what we do is y'all show up for basketball. Court was packed yesterday, but let us just call it some time of prayer or discipleship. Eight men will show up. What a brother. Is it three services, eight men? Do the math. How many is that a service? Like that's frustrating. And not just frustrating for me as a pastor, but frustrating for our ladies. Here's what we'll do. All of all of our men listen. No music, nothing spooky. Every man in the room. Can you just run down to the altar? Because we need we need to start a new trajectory of what biblical manhood is. Ladies, let's thank God for these brothers, these husbands, these fathers. Y'all come on in, y'all come on in, make some rows behind them, y'all step up. Come on, y'all need to make some more noise for these brothers. Come on, whether you're a believer or not, brothers, just come up, let's pray. The brothers that are on this altar... The men that are on this altar will start a new chain in their family, a new link in their family. They are. Come on, brothers, y'all come on up. The world, the world will be able to look into the church and say, oh, that's what manhood is. Instead of us looking outside, I believe our wives will look at you and say, Dad, you sexy. Because I mean, you you really standing firm in the faith and you cleaning the dishes. (laughs) I really believe it, man. I I, I just I think today marks a new day for us as men. And listen, I'm I'm on the altar just as much as you were on the altar because all of us are striving to look more like Jesus. None of us have attained it. None of us are kneeling at the cross going, I'm good, I'm straight. Nah, we're all pressing. I know it ain't easy, brothers. I know it ain't hard. I know it's easier to commit to things that are more tangible because discipleship, you don't immediately see results. But I believe that if we commit ourselves to the Lord, we stand firm in the faith, we're watchful. We're strong in meaning we're weak. We love well. I really believe that our, our, our communities would be different. Our churches would be different. Listen, this church is only as healthy as the men on this altar. I promise you that. Promise you that. And I'm tired of Islam being militant and having all the men. What would it look like to have an army of blood brothers that are serious? That aren't dibbling and dabbling in, in, in different doctrines. And Nah, Jesus is the way. He doesn't say I'm a way. He's the way. Every head bow. Ladies, point your hands to these men.